Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the special edition of the Coffee Clatch. This is Marianne Russo. The Penn State sex abuse crisis has horrified us as parents and as human beings. The thought of someone being able to use their power to abuse children is incomprehensible. Sometimes parents wait until it's too late to discuss these topics um, and scenarios with their children. And I'm not speaking of the parents of the victims in this case. I'm speaking in general terms. So, you know, as our heart goes out to these families, I'm offering this special broadcast because I really feel that this is an opportunity parents need to take to speak to their children, to calm frightened children who've been hearing this on the news, and to speak in very clear terms as to what they should do if this ever happens to their children or someone else that they know. Joining me today to discuss the psychological impact of children being exposed to the sex abuse scandal is Dr. Jerry Weichman. Dr. Weichman is a licensed psychologist, an adolescent specialist, an author, speaker, parenting expert. He's been a guest on the show before. And thank you very much, Dr. Weichman. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. You know, I mean, the children in the Penn State sex abuse uh, tragedy were failed on so many levels by so many adults that they trusted and that were supposed to protect them. That I mean, it's really just mind-boggling at this point. Um, you know, what is the psychological impact on a child or a tween um, hearing about this sex abuse, and especially, you know, when someone revered in the media? Um, well, you know, I think that it can have a variety of reactions or effects. Uh, one one positive is that it, it can make it a real true issue to them, and hence, you know, a great opportunity uh, for a talking point with your kids. You know, they typically exist in a it-can't-happen-to-me world, and something like this on this type of a scene can really, you know, bring it into the forefront and make it a, make it a, a real deal for them. Um, I think some of the negatives are, you know, for the, for the kids, it can foster anxiety in them as they begin to you know, become scared that everyone out there and everyone around them might be trying to or will do this to them. Right, and you know, I, I think there are so many parents that um, are embarrassed or unsure um, as to whether they should discuss this with their children. And, um, you know, I think you bring up a good point because, you know, mandatory reporting failed horribly in this situation. And, um, you know, I think that it would, you know, cause anxiety in children when the people that are supposed to be there to help you are the ones that, um, you know, were covering it up. So, you know, why is it important for parents to discuss this issue and not be embarrassed? Well, look, you know, unfortunately, this is occur- This occurs regularly in, in our society, and I've seen it a lot in my practice. Um, you know, so many parents of the victim have said, you know, we had no reason to suspect, and it was regularly recurring behind the scenes, and, and they didn't find out until it was too late. Uh, I think using this opportunity to talk to your kids, you know, could completely thwart an attempt on your child in the first place. So basically, as a parent, you have to weigh the embarrassment of the info and having this conversation, which can prevent something like this from occurring in the first place with your child, to the detrimental and potentially lifelong effects of traumatic events such like this that you, you know, wouldn't have, if you wouldn't have this conversation in the first place, that you could pre- completely prevent it. Right. You know, and, um, you know, a little bit later on um, in the interview we're going to talk about, um, you know, God forbid this does happen. Um, but, you know, as you said, being proactive is key. So um, age-appropriate discussions obviously are important. So can you give us some tips for different age groups, um, you know, how graphic or detailed it should be in conversation per age group, and um, especially for vulnerable special needs children with developmental delays who really are, you know, preyed upon? 
Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, when you're talking with your kids, um, I think it's really important to teach them, um, the, the kid, the young children especially, just about, you know, starting this conversation early. It's got to be early and repeated. Um, you know, you want to have these conversations periodically throughout their lives. I mean, um, I would do that a minimum of once a year at the very at the very least. But you want to start with subtle stuff. You know, what are what is it that people will do? You know, what is uh, appropriate touching versus inappropriate touching? Um, you know, and, and telling them what to do when they experience stuff like this. I think that it's important that you know when you've got a kid who's you know 11, 12, 13, and up. Uh, they're exposed already with the internet to a lot of you know, sexually graphic and, and uh, immaterial and, and images, and I think that you know you can pretty much open up the floodgates for the most part in telling them the, the the graphic details of what happens when you know they're 11 plus. All right, and you know fear has to grip these children. I mean, I can't imagine how terrified they must be when they're put in this position. Um, you know, and I think that. Also, you know, a conversation that unfortunately we may need to have now is, um, you know, as far as them speaking up, because, you know, as I mentioned before, mandatory reporting, I mean, everyone in, in teachers to administration is supposed to report this. Now, I don't know what the law is, whether they're supposed to report it to higher-ups or to police, um, but, you know, how should a parent discuss that with the child as far as speaking out and not having the fear and counting on these people to do the right thing. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. The, I think that, um, you know, I think honestly that every, I'm a mandated reporter by I'm a reporter by law. You know, if, if anything like this comes across my radar, I have to report it as well as other doctors. I honestly think that everybody in society needs to be a mandated reporter, to be honest with you. Right. Um, you know, sexual abuse is, is often, you know, not dealt with by people in the know because, you know, they don't want to make a big situation worse by telling authorities. You know, I think you can see that in a situation like this. It, it makes it looks bad for the school. You get more negative attention. And, um, you know, what you're doing then is just increasing the tra- number of traumatic events this individual has. Plus, you know, you're allowing the perpetrator to find more victims, which means more people are getting severely emotionally injured. Um, I think, you know, when, when you're talking about, you know, how do you build your kids up to, to, to say something on a level like this and what to do, I think that, um, you know, knowledge is important as, as far as what happens, what to do if, if it occurs in the first place. I think the second part, though, is a combination of good self-esteem and being, being willing to speak up and stand out on their own. Uh, you know, routinely focus on positives of your kids, identify for them what you view as positives, um, get them to build their self-esteem, teach them about the benefits of standing out on their own and blazing a trail for themselves in their life. You know, kids at this age, they feel inadequate and insecure, and so many are conformists. They just follow the trends, whatever the trends are, whether it's bullying or wearing skinny jeans. So I think it's important for parents to model for their kids how important it is to stand out and stand up for for what they believe in, let alone on an issue like this or what will happen to them down the line if they don't. They become like the adult chasing the Joneses. And, you know, that's how, I, you know, what you're saying is just so important because that's how you raise your kids to have character and to stop Absolutely. abuse if they see it and become part of the solution. Um you know, I mean, this is just to, to to witness a horrific act like this and and just walk away is just it, it's just very obviously very distressing. And you know, that's what we we need to raise. We need to raise children that know to speak up. Um, you know, I want to move on a little bit to signs of predators because I think that in this particular case, 
and I think in a lot of cases, that um, who are really preyed upon are kids that are from single families, single homes, um, a lot of underprivileged who, you know, look for guidance and look for mentors. So what are some signs and red flags for parents? Um, there are actually a lot of them. Um, I think, and you really only need one, to be honest with you. But right. um, some of the some of the warning signs and red flags that parents should look for is, you know, their kids avoiding an individual or events that that individual will be at. Uh, their kids will have nightmares. They'll have inability to concentrate. Uh, suddenly they'll have money or gifts or additional time with that individual for no apparent reason. Uh, the kids themselves will begin to think of themselves as dirty or bad or negative. They'll exhibit adult-like behave, sexual behaviors or language or knowledge with themselves, friends, or siblings. Uh, they'll have an increase in illness, either real or faked. You know, they'll have the emotional damage from physical illnesses in the body is what we call psychosomatic problems. And, um, you know, a lot of kids will regularly complain of headaches and stomach aches that have incurred a traumatic event such as this. Um, it also lowers their immune system, so you know they'll also legitimately be picking up a lot of the common colds and flus. Um, they'll also exhibit an increase in irritability and acting out behaviorally at home. You'll see changes in sleep. They'll begin to sleep more or less than they used to. You'll see changes in food. They'll eat more or less than they used to. You can look for a withdraw or withdrawing socially, a drop in grades. Um, you know they don't find pleasure in normally enjoyable activities, or they'll even begin to cut themselves. Right, and you know, but I mean, when you hear the stories of parents trusting adults, um, you know, to take their children on overnight trips or take them away and do things, I mean, I think that's another just huge red flag. Um, you know, let, let's say a parent suspects that their child has been inappropriately touched or abused. You know, how should they approach the subject with the child? Um, well, first of all, I got to be honest with you. In, in, I've never seen a parent, especially a mother's intuition, be wrong in doing this right. for 13 years. Uh, if you suspect something, you're probably right. Um, I think you begin with how common events like these are in life, and it wouldn't surprise you. Um, you know, as a kind of a break, you know, help break it down for your kid. I would encourage you know parents to encourage the kid to be open and honest with them, that they wouldn't be angry and they wouldn't flip out. Um, many victims don't tell their parents because they're scared their parents will absolutely flip out, whether in anger or hurt or, in, or you know, it'll get catastrophic. And the kids, as victims, already feel so out of control, they don't want more of that in their life. So, you know, as a parent, if you do hear something like this, you've got to have a fantastic poker face or com right. completely make it a much worse situation, that it's not a big deal and stuff like this happens. Um, and praise them for telling you. And if they do tell you, you got to believe them. Um, there's a lot of sexual abuse that continues because the parents just immediately go to, no way, it couldn't have happened. I can't believe that that person would do that. And it just compounds the emotional damage it does on the victim. Um, I think if your kids aren't or, or, you know, they're refusing to talk about it or they're saying that nothing happened, uh, you can solicit other individuals to get involved if they claim nothing happened. You know, using school administrators, counselors, teachers, coaches, individual therapists to help get to your kid to find out what happened. I believe that's actually what happened in this uh, Penn State sexual abuse case. A mom just had an intuition. The kid denied it, and she started, you know, eliciting people at the school to help, and eventually it all came out. Um, I think as a parent, it's also important to monitor your kid's texting or Internet usage. 
uh, kids that are victims might not tell you, but they'll often tell other friends or talk about how they're feeling online because they feel it's safer to do so. Right. And, um, you know, as you were saying before, I mean, I, I think building that trust um, to have your child be comfortable talking to you and not having you overreact starts early. And it starts in other situations, maybe, you know, trivial things like problems with friends or, you know, smaller problems at school. I mean, when they see that you don't overreact and you handle things appropriately, that you know, maybe that would give them more trust also. Um, no, I think you're absolutely correct. Because, you know, what happens with the kids is, you know, they hear growing up, you know, if, if someone's drinking at a party, you can tell us, we'll come pick you up, it won't be a big mm-hmm. deal. So they file that. All kids do file that in the back of their mind. It's really what the parents do when an event like that does come up that determines if the kids are going to proceed with believing you and taking advantage of what you've been offering. Um, you know, I can I can remember as a kid, my parents saying that to me, and then when they found out a kid was drinking at a party, they completely freaked out. And I remember going, my, telling myself in my head, you know, from now on, I'm not saying anything in any situation. Right. Right. Um, you know, but it, it's important. It's important that you take a breath <laughs> and you think about your reaction before you do anything. Um, now, how do pa- how do therapists and parents work? Um, if God forbid, you know, your child is abused, you know, how do you heal this child? Because this has to be one of the most traumatic events that could happen to a kid. Um, you know, and and I understand that a lot of these children feel in some way that it's their fault that they um, provoked the. Um, the sexual act. So how would you work with a child like this, and how would you work with a parent? Well, I think, you know, for parents and therapists, it's pretty much the same stuff. Um, You know, routine expression of feelings is really important. Getting the kids to talk about how they're feeling, that they're feeling hurt or angry when they are feeling so. Um, this helps the, the emotional prevent the emotional buildup and all the problems that would stem from holding on to all this stuff for a kid. Uh, get your kids to journal, uh, especially before bed. Let them write it on a piece of paper and shred it. Uh, reiterate to them that crying is an important part of expression and feeling better, and real men do cry. Uh, any way that they can express themselves is, number one, going to make them feel better. I think, secondly, it's routinely, it's important to you know routinely reiterate to them that it wasn't their fault and that they're still the same person and that you don't see them differently. Um, this event is merely one part of them, and you know, because many of these kids will feel dirty and tainted, and that their parents, you know, are disappointed with them. Uh, I think support groups are really important. Many kids feel like this only happens to them when it does, and that something's really wrong with them. So so much that life has it out for them, and only them. I think meeting other kids their age or people that encountered this at a similar age to them is a relief for them, and they find benefit in talking to them about the event. Um, working towards forgiving the perpetrator is a longer-term goal for a therapist as well as for a parent, I would imagine. You know, it relieves holding on to all of this hurt and pain throughout their life. You know, if you can help those kids see those in those perpetrators for who they are, you know, they had, a traumatic, they had traumatic events that were not dealt with appropriately. And beginning to forgive them, you know, not saying that it's okay, but forgiving that individual for what happened so that they can move on with their life. I think also it's important to remind the kids that this is temporary. You know, the kids that are suicidal or commit suicide have given up hope that things will always get better. You know, it can make them feel their whole life will, will be this way, but you've got to give them some light at the end of the tunnel. It's not always going to feel like this. I think also it's important to... Um, you know, get them to not just think about what's positive in their life, but also challenge them to look for what's positive in negative situations. 
the lenses they look at situations with now and for the rest of their life will always have a direct effect on how they feel. I think also it's important to talk to your kids about how life doesn't give you anything that you can't handle. The negative and even traumatic events that are dropped into our life you know, are, are meant for us to overcome, learn and change and grow from. And um, you know, I think additional stuff that parents can do is get them involved in service projects. You know, doing good things for people makes them feel better. Seeing others who have it worse helps them to put their problems in perspective. Um, for the kids that have sexual trauma, it's important to get them in, you know, physical activity. It's a great antidepressant. And consider self-defense classes. That helps with their anxiety. Things like boxing and martial arts and mixed martial arts are really important for people that are survivors of sexual abuse. They're a physically traumatic event often needs, you know, some intense physical outlet for relief from that trauma. For those, for the victim to be thinking about that individual and physically beating on somebody in a constructive way or on a bag is actually therapeutic for them. Right, and you know the parents you know, you have to take care to heal themselves too. This is traumatizing for the parents as well. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that that can have an effect on not just the parents and the victim, but the entire family as a whole. And I tell parents, you know, it's really important you take care of yourself so that you can be there to take care of everything and everybody else. So whether that's you receiving your individual counseling, making sure you're doing the things that you need to do for yourself to keep yourself in the best place possible, all these things are going to benefit the victim as well as the entire family as a whole. Well, you know, I'm sure we, I know we haven't heard the last of this particular situation, but as you said, this happens every day. Um, you know, with the avalanche of litigation that we'll be following, um, you know, I hope it's really important that justice is done in this case and that children do see, um, you know, that these people are punished. Um, you know, what is the final message you would like to give to parents as far as speaking to their children about predators? Well, first of all, as a parent, your intuition is correct. I can't reiterate that enough. Uh, I think it's important for parents to talk to their kids about, you know, the fact that stuff like this usually occurs with somebody that you know. In about 90% of the cases, this is the, this is what happens. It's somebody that the child knows. Um, many kids think that sexual abuse is someone who physically accosts them out of nowhere. It's not really the case. You know, teach your kids what to look for in perpetrators and really the grooming process as a whole. Teach them about what grooming means and what goes into it. Perpetrators gain trust first. They come off as warm and friendly, especially with parents. They start paying attention to what you like or what you want. They begin giving gifts and time and affection. And once they do that, then they begin to isolate you. They get one-on-one time. They catch you away from your friends, your teammates, your family members. Uh, Common people in these situations or common roles are babysitters, coaches, and tutors. Um, You know, then they begin to sexualize the relationship. It begins really subtly, too. It's important for parents to reiterate that. You know, they ask to take a picture of them in a certain way, or they touch them in a way that they won't find offensive, such as a hand on a leg or on a shoulder, or lean against them during an instruction of something. Um, then from there, they begin to, once, it's, once the events start taking place, they threaten them to maintain control. So I think it's important for, you know, for parents to talk to their kids about, you know, setting boundaries with people. What's appropriate, what's not appropriate, what's a red flag. If someone, it's a major red flag if someone touches you past your boundary, especially if you say no. And if that happens, you've got to literally flip out both both emotionally and or physically if you need to, to get out of that situation and come and tell us. Don't tell a teacher, don't tell a friend, you've got to tell us. Right. Um, I think it's also important to use examples with kids, especially the younger ones. 
What do you do if someone touches you in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable? What do you do if your coach does this? What do you do if a teacher or a friend's brother or sister does this? See if they can reiterate to you what the appropriate steps are and continue to work with them until they get there because if they can tell you what to do, there's a much higher likelihood that they'll remember what to do when it happens. Right. And I think, you know, as much as we have to go with our gut instincts, we have to trust our kids' gut instincts too. You know, if your child doesn't want to go somewhere, if your child doesn't want to have a sleepover somewhere, and as they get older, they'll tell you, you know, I really don't like it there or whatever. I mean, you you really have to trust their gut instinct, too. And teach them how to respect and listen to that. I think all all kids, especially girls, need to learn how to listen to their gut because and their instincts because it will it will lead you away from trouble always. All right. Well, Dr. Weichmann, I thank you so much for joining us. It's really a very important conversation, and I hope that. Uh, parents do take this opportunity um, to speak to their children. And like you said, not just today. Um, You know, this is an ongoing conversation that has to happen at different levels, at different ages. And I I really appreciate you joining us. I appreciate the time. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. As we end each show, you are your child's best advocate. If not you, then who? Become an informed, educated parent here at the Coffee Clatch. And if you see something, say something and speak up. Protect your children. Thank you for joining us today.